Kay Rippey, and with us all the way from lovely La Jolla, California, is the certified show producer and brains behind our business, Aurora. Hello, and you actually just caught me before I was about to take my dose of apple cider vinegar. You're kidding. Since when did you start drinking <laughs> apple cider vinegar? I know. I actually, I got sick off of some scallops last week. Oh, no. It was, it, yeah, it was really sad. And I was actually really missing the nascent iodine that you keep in the house, which was, which is what I would normally do for, for food, po- for like a food poisoning type deal, but I didn't have it. But Having that upset stomach got me thinking, well, I haven't been taking care of my stomach and the gut biome as well as I should. So I got myself some apple cider vinegar and I started drinking some over the past week and um, just trying to take care of myself a little bit better in that respect. That's great. You know, diet is such an important part of healing from anything and particularly from Lyme disease. And today's guest really credits his diet with turning the corner in his neurological Lyme symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I know it can be really confusing out there. You can get into bone broth and ketogenic diets or vegan vegetarian diets. And then there's specific carbohydrate diets and that's related to a FODMAP diet, or you can get into the GAPS diet. There's just so many different ways that you can go, but it's really important that you work with your healthcare practitioner and figure out which diet's right for you and then to stick with it because it does make a massive amount of difference. Uh, eating the wrong foods can cause all kinds of inflammation and they can also feed the bacteria that we're so desperately trying to keep under control. Okay, Aurora, why don't you tell us a little bit about today's Lime Ninja, Glenn the Geek. Glenn the Geek, as he is known on the internet, started podcasting in 2008 with the launch of Horse Radio Network after he was diagnosed with Lyme disease. Horse Radio Network has now grown to eight shows with tens of thousands of listeners from around the world. Glenn hosts several of the shows on the network, including the Stable Scoop Radio Show, the 2010 Radio Show, Tack and Habit, and Horse Tip Daily. Thanks, Aurora. Here's our interview with Lime Ninja, Glenn the Geek. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio, and I am very excited to talk to you on several levels. One is your personal story about Lyme disease. The other is the Lyme disease that exists in the equine world with horses and the battling that the vets are doing and the horse owners are doing with Lyme disease. And then just about in general, you're a king of podcasts in the horse world. (laughs) And, you know, just how to get information out there. I know a lot of the people listening to this podcast are frustrated by what they perceive as the lack of awareness or the lack of good information being shared about Lyme disease. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about kind of breaking through, uh, just kind of the, the silence. And, you know, there, there's, there's been quite a bit in the world about Lyme disease, but it still seems to be in the back of people's minds rather than the forefront, even I though it's, it's Lyme month here. I totally agree with you. And I think it, I didn't even know it was Lyme month. So there you go. Um, I totally agree with you. And it's less so in the horse world because it has been an issue in horses for so long that 
everybody knows somebody this horse had Lyme disease. And now, I, in the last year or two, I think it's happening more than I've ever seen it before, where is if your horse gets sick, somebody says, have they checked for Lyme? And the vets now are testing for Lyme much sooner than they did before. So I think it's hap- It's more aware. there's more awareness of it in the horse world than there ever was in the past, which means that they're more aware of it for the human side, too. So horse people tend to be more aware of it on the human side. Plus, we're bit by ticks all the time. We're outside all the time. We're dealing with hay all the time. Right. You know, you... You make hay and you bring the hay in yourself off the field. If you're not buying it and you're doing it yourself, you're going to have ticks. So do you make your own hay? I do not anymore. When, when I contracted Lyme, we did. And, you know, we would bring it in off the field. You would stack it in the, the hayloft. The ticks would still be alive when it's bailed. So when you're stacking it in the hayloft, they get on you. You might have two or three ticks every time you stack hay in a hayloft. Uh, if it's fresh cut hay, because they're coming out of the hay. Yeah. They're coming out of the grass. So, you know, it's, it's very common for horse people to get ticks. It always has been. And, you know, until what, 15 years ago, it was, it was no big deal. You didn't think about it. You just took them off and you, that was it. Right. Um, and then things started to change as Lyme become more, became more and more prevalent. So I think in the horse world, we are a little bit ahead of the general population as far as that's concerned. I got to tell you, though, I love all of the things that uh, all of the precautions that you see on all the Lyme sites right. pretty much say don't go outside and never leave your house. Exactly. Right. I mean, right. Is, right. Isn't that what they basically say? If you're yep. going out in the woods, make sure you're entirely covered up. Make sure you have, you know, your socks outside your, you know, all of that stuff, which is just not happening for us because we live outside. You know, horse people live outside. We ride in the, you know, we'll ride horses in the, in the woods, in the high grass. We go everywhere you're not supposed to go and in places that are infested with ticks. So, it, you know, for us, it, that's not a practical option. Putting on spray and doing everything you can that way is practical, but we're still going to get ticks. So, you know, the prevention side for us is more difficult than it is for, I would say, the average person who really doesn't hike in the woods much or, you know, isn't walking through tall grass up to their waist. So it's, it's much more difficult for us that way. What protection do you use these days for yourself? Prevention methods? Spray. You know, that's pretty much it. I mean, Permethrin or what do you use? Uh, you know, whatever, you know. To be honest, I just use what we can buy, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the deep wood stuff, yeah. things like that. Now, horses have their own sprays, uh, and they, they're they supposed to work on ticks, although our horses get ticks all the time. So they're eating grass. You know, they're out, and, and, and in many cases, if the grass is a little taller, their whole face is in the grass. Right. So, that, you know, they're getting ticks all the time. And where you find them in horses on, is on their manes, um, is is it? Same place you find them in people, right? In your hair yep. and, in, you know, under their manes. And any place it's hard to, f- hard to find them or you'll find them on their necks, on their legs. Uh, you know, that's where you'll find them. If it's a deer tick, it's, you'll be lucky if you ever find them. Right. Absolutely. Because, because the horse's hair really masks those. Uh, you'll find them if they're the average big tick. You know, you'll find them because you, they're hard to miss <laughs> after they've been attached for a while. But the deer ticks, they, you know, they probably get it more than we ever think. And then, of course, this whole bullseye rash thing, not so much for horses because you can't really see that with the hair. So what are the symptoms for horses it's in Lyme same disease? Same thing as with people. They start to get groggy. Their energy drops to nothing. 
Um, you just with horse owners can tell their horses when, you know, on an average day, you know what your horse's personality is, you know, how much energy they have, you know, you, you know, you know, how much trouble they're causing, you know, how naughty they're being, mm -hmm. you know, you know, all of that stuff about your horse, same as you would your dog, right? You can tell when your dog is starting to feel a little, you know, lackadaisical or is off his game a little bit. It's the same with horses. We can tell that. So you start to see just a general decline. And you start to see them becoming groggier and groggier. They're not wanting to eat as much. They're just slowing down. And that's really the biggest symptom that you see. Then, then after it goes a while, you can start to see neurological things. A lot of times they're tested for neurological disorders that horses get. But as I said, more and more vets are starting to do the test right away for Lyme. Mm -hmm. Now, is it more accurate than the people one? I, I doubt it. You know, I think that it's still, there's a lot of false tests in there. Right. Um, and a lot of times vets will, will take that into account and will just treat with the antibiotics anyway. And then is that, do you have horses with chronic Lyme just yes. like with people? Yes. And, and I have some listeners that have horses with chronic Lyme and it's taken them years to dig them out and cost them a fortune. Um, to dig them out of the hole and, and for them to finally start getting better. And it's interesting because there's a lot of discussion now. On, I control my Lyme, which I got 13 years ago. Didn't know. I went through. It's every story you've heard, and I'm not going to bore people with it. It's every story I've heard on your show. I got sick. I was in a hospital for a year. I didn't drive for a year. They test. I went to every specialist in the world. Never did test positive for Lyme. I mm -hmm. finally found a Lyme literate doctor in horse country who said, I think that you have Lyme. Everything just fits and nothing else tested. Right. So he started treating me for Lyme and his antibiotics on and off for a year and got a little better. But, you know, I have chronic Lyme, so I would get sick every month, you know, once a month. My wife called it my monthly. <laughs> and her, she always said mine was worse than hers. Right. Uh, because mine's neurological, so I'd get mixed up. On those days, I couldn't drive. And this is for 13 years. No kidding. A uh, couple years ago, I had a, a very good doctor who said, you got to change your diet. Diet will help you. Right. And I did. So I went gluten-free. I went on the Lyme, the strict Lyme diet, and now I'm gluten-free, sugar-free. Mm -hmm. I have been for years. And now I only get attacks once a quarter instead of once a month. Interesting. And they're much reduced. Are, are, you still do dairy? I still do dairy. I, I do. Well, that's limited. I do cheese, some mm -hmm. cheeses. Um, but I don't do like regular cow's milk. I right. do the almond milk and all of that. Okay. But I do sugar-free. I allow myself one treat a week. Okay. Um, and and do then. You, do you have a setback when you do that? Do you notice that? Not if I, if I cheat more than once I notice it. Okay. Then it builds up. Yeah. Um, quicker with sugar, yes. and I cannot do alcohol at all. I was going to ask about alcohol. Mm, I wish. That's the thing I, I miss a lot, because I always liked the fruity drinks. I was never <laughs> into beer or hard stuff. I always was the strawberry daiquiri guy, which is what, a thousand grams of sugar, right? Yeah, exactly. So I do miss those. i got to be honest. Um, and then, you know, I was always a big bread eater, too, and mm -hmm. pasta and all of that, which I've learned to change, my, you know, that. and I, I make my own gluten-free bread now and have done all of that, but definitely went from feeling 60% to 80%. Nice. And I've maintained that 80% for the most part. And I miss less days now. You know, I'm the chronic Lyme patient who has a job where I'm on the radio. 
Mm-hmm. And a daily, we have, we have a daily show we do that has a tens of thousands of listeners every day. And all my hosts, we have 20 hosts here on the network. All the hosts I work with know about my Lyme. And I'll tell them at the beginning of the show, okay, I'm having a bad Lyme day, which means I'm going to be, my words are going to come out backwards. I won't be able to think as fast. And they know to talk more and cover for me. Right. So the listeners, until I announced it about three years ago, the listeners didn't know that I even had it. Mm-hmm. And then we did a show on it on Stable Scoop, and we did a show on the human line. We've talked about horse line before, but we did a show on human line. And you'll be interested to know, McKay, that is our most downloaded episode by 10 times. Really? Any other episode we've ever done. It, it, because it's very prevalent in, in people in the horse world. And I, I get about a call a week from somebody who I talked to about their Lyme that's a horse person that they're not getting treatment or the doctor said three weeks and you're done. It doesn't exist. All of the stuff that frustrates the hell out of all of us. Right. Um, it, it's still prevalent in, in, with horse people in the horse world. And are these calls from coming from any part of the Listen, country or all over uh, the world? I just talked or? to somebody in England last week. Yeah. I was referred and I didn't even know it was a big thing over there. But in the horse world over there it is. They live in the country and it's starting to become prevalent in the country over there. This girl happened to visit horse country and is a horse girl but lives in London. Okay. So she was having a hard time finding a doctor who would even knew anything about Lyme. Right. And she said they're starting they're where we were ten years ago. Oh. Their medical community. So she's frustrated. I talked to her about the diet and I gotta tell you, everybody that I've I recommended the diet and has actually went on it and followed it has felt better. Yeah. I don't know why the diet isn't, and you, I know you talk about it, um, but boy, it, we should be preaching it from the rooftops. From the rooftops. Yeah. yeah, there's, you know, I, there's something about Lyme disease and the gut biome, and I really think the diet has, has to do a lot with how we're feeding our gut biome more than the actual nutrition that's getting its way through the small intestine into our systems. So there's some, it, it just matches up somehow. And, and we're just, you know, the science, they're just beginning to figure that stuff out. And there are people doing all kinds of uh, kind of genetic databases on different people's guts and seeing what's in there. I just saw, came across something, I think it was in the New York Times, saying that in terms of bacteria, they, they finally figured out a way to estimate the number of bacteria and and we've only discovered like 0.001% of all the bacteria on the planet. So they're just we're talking about we were talking earlier about the being in diapers in terms of podcast uh but we're we're even whatever the phase is before diapers in terms of understanding how bacteria affects our health. I think Lyme disease is really pushing that forward at a rapid pace be up to this point the the model was real simple you find the bacteria and you go kill it because it's not supposed to be in there uh and that's such a a simplistic model and works to some degree but then we've got all these antibacterial resistant bacteria now and we're discovering that there are lots of side effects from being on massive doses of antibiotics because it's killing off the good guys as well as the bad guys I had that problem when I was on my year. I was three. I never did the IV because mm-hmm. at that point they weren't. They kind of weren't doing that back then. Um, but I was three weeks on, three weeks off with the oral mm-hmm. for a year, and I just my stomach was a mess by the time I was seven months in. Yeah, 
Um, and it, because, yeah, you're right. It was killed. And by the way, the horse, um, it's interesting to hear you say that. Same because, thing, right? Yeah. And they have two, they have two guts. Okay. So they have, they actually have two. Um, they have a foregut and a hindgut. And so they're actually processing things further than we are. But they have, they always have, you know, ulcer issues. Horses are always battling gut issues. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they're finding that helps the chronic Lyme horses is diet. Taking them off of the high sugar grains, um, getting rid of taking the sugar out. Of, they don't have so much a gluten problem, but taking the sugar out of the issue. Yeah. And just giving them straight hay or grass yep. pasture, yep. right? Yep, and and supplements that will help supplement, like we do, you know, uh, supplements that help supplements the vitamins that they may be missing by doing that. And uh, how about how about alfalfa? High in sugar. High in sugar as well. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So you, you try and you try and go back to the more, and it's actually ironically the cheaper hays. And you know, for us, it's the more expensive foods that you have to eat, right? Yes. Uh, for horses, you can go back to the cheaper stuff. It, it's it's a, it's actually the opposite of that. Uh, and, you know, grass, you have to watch grass is higher in sugar in the mornings because of the dew and the moisture. Really? So you have to, you, you, you take them off of the, the grass the, in the morning, the morning grass. Out the heat of the day. Huh. Uh, so there's all these different things you can do, but they're finding that that actually helps horses too. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think it has a lot more to do with the gut and, you know, talk about resistance, you know, you're right. We just attacked until we found little guys that figured out how to hide. Yes. Um, and, you know, until they decide that we're going to hide for a while and then just come back out of hibernation for a little while to make your life miserable. And, you know, that's when, you know, are we, an uh, interesting question I have for you, and I do a lot of reading on this, are we any closer to the medical community saying, hey, look, uh, there is such a thing as chronic Lyme? I have a, the short answer is no. And then I'm going to give you a long answer. I have a, patient part of the problem is the advocate community is we're not physicians at this point because the idsa has made their proclamation and moved on so they think the the science is settled here everybody else in the world knows it's not but be that as it may so we're non-physicians i have a patient who's a physician and he his recommendation is look you can't go into a doctor's office and say lyme disease because lyme disease is a specific bacteria it's the borrelia burgdorferi and it's only that bacteria and it's a specific treatment for it if you go into the doctor's office and say you know i might have borreliosis all of a sudden they can listen in a totally different way. So hmm. part of it is when you and I say Lyme disease, we mean all the hundred yeah, different we all the variations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> plus co-infections, plus right. you know, diet stuff, plus mold, if that's going yeah, all these other stuff that we just of course it's part of that. But but a doctor isn't trained that way. They're very, very specific. You know, one one factor, one vector, one disease, one cure kind of thing. Um, so his part of it is the language that we use to engage doctors. And by saying Lyme disease, we, we shut their brains down. We have to use different language going into the office. You know, could it be a tick-borne infection? You know, could it be one of the, you know one of these other things, and that that may or may not help some. So you know, are we getting any closer? I it doesn't seem that way. Um, it's it'll be one of the 
will only know <laughs> when this is happening. This is this is science over the centuries. It's not just our our current state. Is at some point the IDSA will appropriate all the ILADS kind of stuff and pretend that they've been doing it all along, and and then we'll know it. it the thing has changed. It'll happen in a heartbeat, um, and we'll just wonder, geez, what what took so long? But it's just, it's human, it's human nature. You know, this is all about human nature right now, not about science. And this isn't, you're right. This isn't the first battle anybody has fought with the medical community. Every, every disease has fought this battle at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and things, you know, hand, it it goes back to hand washing. Yeah. (laughs) The Semmelweiss and, and being, and his life, I think he committed suicide or was beaten to death by the guards actually in a insane asylum. And uh, he, there's clearly evidence, but he was he was laughed out of town, literally. Yeah, it's something simple like wash your hands, and mm-hmm. uh, it's so it's so self evident now. It's like, of course, but there was a huge controversy over that, and he was he was derided mercilessly. So that's just that's just new ideas. That's the resistance that they face from the professional community. So it takes, you know, that's the other thing when I have people say, oh, well, the government, if they just threw a bunch of money at it, but we've been throwing money at cancers. Like the, the breakthroughs come from the fringes, you know, the new ideas come from the fringes. And so we need a dispersed model for, for attacking this. So like Eva Shoppy's lab up in, uh, University of New Haven, uh, in Connecticut, uh, you know, just small labs doing independent work like that. I think that's, that's where the real breakthroughs are going to come through and not from the NIH. You need, you need people who can think outside the box who are, who are too naive to ask the dumb questions. <laughs> now, there is being research done in, on the horse side. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times, too, the other place where those breakthroughs come, uh, come from for humans is from the animal side. So, you know, I do know that there's being research done on the horse side. So we can hope, too, that, you know, if there's a breakthrough there, then it can translate. You know, they can figure out how to make that work for humans. Translate ever. Yeah. Yeah. There's I have a guest lined up. The the, the testing, one of the first things that's going to shift and seems does seem to be shifting is new tests. They seem to be you right. one that actually works. Yeah, ex- is that well, what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, it's maybe fifty percent accurate instead of twenty five or yeah, seventy five exactly. instead of you know whatever the numbers end up being. But exactly, if we have a, a more accurate test, that'll go uh, instead of you know three thirty thousand cases a year to three hundred thousand. It'll be all of a sudden three million cases a year or something like that. What whatever the real numbers are. I agree with you. I think that's when we see the shift. And those What's are helped. With the shift up to this point is celebrities. Oh, they really have helped. I mean, I'm sorry yes. they got Lyme, but they've helped the cause, right? Yeah. Um, but you're right. To take it to the next step, then, it has to be numbers. Right. And, and, and that'll then help the scientists be able to do better studies on it uh, just because they'll have more accurate information. And there's more motivation to spend more money. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. The, the drug companies are more motivated than yeah, large numbers. And, and it'll be and it will be interesting to see if if antibiotics become you know the, the right treatment for long term chronic Lyme. Uh, you know whether or not there's any additional benefit, or whether or not they just keep the Lyme from reappearing from whatever form it's hiding in. Um, 
so that, that I mean, we do, we just don't we don't know. That's the thing. We don't know. There are all these protocols out there. One of one of my little soapboxes is we we're doing ourselves a disservice by calling these Lyme treatments protocols because it makes it sound like we actually know what we're doing. And that if you follow the protocol, you'll get the same outcome. If you follow this recipe, you will get the same brownies every single time. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. What what protocol works for one person may not work for another, or what worked for you last year may not work for you this year. And you talk to people with, well, you know, who struggle with the, the, the chronic Lyme. When a flare-up happens, it sometimes it feels like going back to square one to, to re-figure things out again. You're absolutely right. And I think that's one of the things that frustrates all of us Lyme patients or people with Lyme is no matter what I do, I do the diet and I do all of that stuff. And when I do have a flare up and start to get sick, it's different every darn time. So I never know, is this related to the Lyme or not? One of the things, and I know we probably don't want to talk about this, but let's face it, we all have Lyme. So we deal with, we deal with, uh, you know, disgusting stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I haven't heard this talked about too much yet. The last three people I've talked about in the horse world that have Lyme, I've asked this question. I say, when you get your flare-ups, do you have to pee a lot? Huh. And every one of them said yes. And it's something that's been driving. It's my indicator that I'm about to get a flare-up. No kidding. Yes. And that's a great... So I'd, li- I'd love to know from your listeners if that's also a thing. That's Probably a c- clinical is. pearl. Is it? Uh, it it means something's going on. Well, and and it's been with every one of them, and I mean like every hour on the hour, five times a night you wake up. Wow! So every one of them I've talked to said, you know, I never thought about it, but when and that's my indicator. So like if I get sick, like mm-hmm. I I start having whatever symptom, then I'm going, okay, is this you know unrelated to Lyme? I'm about to have a flare up. The next day I'll have to pee a lot, and I know it's about to be a flare up. Wow! So. You know, I know that's not sexy talk here. <laughs> well, that's, but, I thought you were going to go into bowels. So pee, no, no, pee no, is, no, no. Is piece Mine of cake. is not that related, but <laughs> it is pee related. And but it's been interesting that everybody I've asked. So I'd be interested to know have your listeners, uh, you know, write into you about that because it's it definitely for me is an indication that I'm about to have a flare up. I will start asking that question. That's a wonderful, and there's so it's such nonspecific that'll drive a doctor nuts because there's right. so many reasons why your urination levels increase but it goes back to normal after the flare-up yeah interesting I'm sorry interesting, and it's been happening that way for 10 years i see a correlation I'm, yeah that's the first i've heard of that i love it well i think because nobody wants to talk about <laughs> have you had your genetic tests done no okay because the other one i find almost 100 percent correlation is the folate Snip, yeah, that's what it is. MTHFLR something. Anyway, so what it is is the body is not efficient converting folic acid into folate, which is the usable form. And okay. so that affects methylation processes in the body. One of the methylation processes is detoxification. And so it's, uh, they find that they feel so much better when they take the folate instead of folic acid. Hmm. Interesting. And I thought it was interesting, too, that the girl in England was recommended to start taking NAC. And I thought it was interesting. That's the free radical protection. Um, it, uh, what's, what's in NAC? It's, 
Uh, it's selenium. By the way, we feed horses selenium to stop them from getting sand colic. Okay. Um, and if you look it up, it's NAC. It has it's amino acids and and all the stomach stuff. So that ties back into what you were saying earlier that she actually has a kind of a Lyme litter doctor over there in England that's and is also a holistic doctor that's that talked to her about taking NAC. Okay. Um, and I got to tell you, I tried it and it made me sick. My stomach didn't agree with it at all. Huh. But I, but when I take a look at what's in it, it's the formula that's in horse uh, horse supplements to help their stomachs. No kidding. So that it's been interesting. It's been, it's interesting hearing people from different countries, who's uh, especially her holistic doctors or chi- traditional Chinese medicine doctors, right, are trying different things. Yep. But this is the one thing that they actually used with horses twelve years ago to help them with their Lyme. Now, when you took it and got sick, what kind of sick did you get? Just stomach aches all the time, and uh, you know, just constant stomach aches. Did you try? To- Backing down the dose to a very, very small dose? Well, and it comes in capsules. I guess oh, I could do that. okay. I mean, I could do that by breaking them up, but, uh, you know, I was doing the minimum already. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if some people just don't agree with it, but there are. And, and it's interesting, too. We have one of our hosts is, is a veterinarian and traditional Chinese medicine doctor, uh, like, doc, like a doctor's and a master's in both, right? So she... She is aware of all of the traditional Chinese medicine things that they're trying to do with horses with chronic Lyme. Right. So it's been interesting to see the correlation there with the on the human side also. There's a old Chinese concept called gu, spelled G U, and gu was this infection that gets in you like oil seeping into flour, and then the physician's job was try to separate the two again and just give you an idea how difficult that is. And so many of the the herbs that they have are these goo formulas from thousand years ago. So Makes sense. There's, I mean there's always been these chronic stubborn infections. I was probably worse back then. Um <laughs> I was not you know, I was not a big believer in uh, traditional Chinese medicine, herbology and all of that. But after spending the last five, six years with Dr. Wendy, I, I am a believer now. Uh, and in, in they're even showing that acupuncture can help and, you know, d- d- getting into all of the, the uh, non-traditional medicines that way right? Uh, for, for Lyme horses, and, and they're finding results with that too. So well, There's a long tradition of using acupuncture for horses. Yes. Yeah. Yep. One of my clinical supervisors was one of the one of the pioneers with horse acupuncture. Yeah, and it works. And you know what's the acceptance now of non-traditional medicines in the horse world is off the charts. Really? Ten years ago, nobody would have done any of that, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's all just quackery. But now, it, it, now you, it's, hard to get a, it's hard to get a traditional Chinese medicine vet out because they're so busy. No kidding. Yep, the acupuncturists are busy, and you know the traditional Chinese medicine vets are busy, and whole foods are becoming a more a, a real big industry now in the horse world, like they are in dogs and cats, and people. Uh, so it it is becoming more popular and more accepted than it ever was before. So it'd be interesting to see what that does uh, in the general scope of things on the human side. I agree, and I want to wrap up this interview. 
Well, a couple things. First, it's a question that I'll let you give people your website and, and yep. information like that. Let's talk about the big arc of getting information out into the world. It's like how I know you talked a little bit about the celebrities have been a huge boon to Lyme awareness. And how do we capitalize on that? How does how does somebody in the Lyme community or with a small Lyme support group in their community keep pushing forward? And and what what buttons should they push? And what recommendations do you have? You know, I think that's marketing, and I think it's marketing the same way as we market anything else. When we were building the Horse Radio Network, and now it is a large network as far as podcasts are concerned, right? And especially in you know our little niche of the horse world over here. When we were building it, we we got the help, and we made partnerships and relationships with the mainstream horse press. It was thanks to the mainstream horse press that we were able to grow the network to the point it is now where we're number one and probably one of the largest podcasting networks in the world. You know, it... It was, it was the help. We needed that help. We, you know, you can be out here with your own Facebook page singing whatever, right? Trying to hope somebody finds you. Right. But unless the reason the celebrities have worked is because they get mainstream press. Mm -hmm. So we need to do that on the local level, whether that's the local newspaper. It's developing relationships with the health writer in the local paper okay. and bringing them good stories. They love salacious good stories of people that are horribly ill, right? That's what right. they like. Okay. Um, we got to bring them those stories and be willing to tell those stories. And that's what gets the awareness out there. Now, does that help when it comes to insurance companies and, and, and the medical community? I don't think so, but it helps awareness. Right. And the more awareness, then when that test co finally comes that actually is accurate, and, the, and there's been more awareness, more and more people are going to ask for that test when they go to the doctor instead of waiting. And I'm always surprised now, even my friends who are very aware of Lyme disease will not ask for the test, or they don't even think to. Right. Because Lyme has so many different symptoms or, or you know, so many things that can, it can be. So they don't think to ask. And, and we're all out there going right on a one-on-one -on -one level saying ask. Well, that's where the awareness comes from. It's going to come from the grassroots in people asking. And then as the test becomes more accurate, then the numbers are going to, as you said, are going to be 20 times what they are now. Right. They're going to be where, where they are realistically as opposed to, you know, as opposed to the mess they are now. And I cannot believe I still made that statement 10 years later. <laughs> Things take a long time. I, and I'm going to say it again. You can cut this out if you want because it sounds like I'm preaching. But the only reason I can talk on the air every day of the week and do, do successful radio podcasts, online radio, is my diet. Otherwise, I would not be able to function one week a month. So I'm just saying I know people resist. The diet's hard. The Lyme diet sucks. It's Getting rid of, you know it, getting rid of sugar and gluten, that just sucks. Yes. <laughs> it does. And it's expensive. You know, that's the part a lot of people don't talk about. You're shopping around the outside of the store, right? Well, that's where all the expensive stuff is. That's right. You know, and it sucks. I agree. I'm, I'm with you. To this day, after being on the diet for years, I still say it sucks. Uh, but, boy, it's the only thing that keeps me functional. And my wife is the one that drives me when I say, I could just have one drink tonight. You know? <laughs> I want to have a glass of wine. And she says, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to do the show tomorrow because right. alcohol will do that to me. Um, and she's the, my motivation. And, boy, I, I just 
feel for any, any of you out there right now who are trying to do this alone. It's hard. I feel for you. I really, I'm going to go back to one of your statements. I want to highlight it. Get to know your local TV people and your local newspaper people, and especially on the TV side, because the way the big networks work is they will suck up local news stories and either just play them on on the national news or redo them. So the more Lyme stories just make the local, even though you may have a really tiny t- TV station like we do here in Utica, New York, if they see enough of these trending, they will start paying attention to it and do it on a larger level. So I think that that hint to really get relationships going with the local media is, is brilliant. And that's, we're going to, I started a local Lyme group here and that's going to be our new mission is to, and, to get, and I hate TV. to say it, but the more terrible the story, the more likely it is to be picked up. Okay. They want to hear the bad news. Yeah. They don't want to hear somebody that's just having, you know, little issues. They right. want somebody that has the, you know, that that's like I was 12 years ago. It's in and out of the hospital and running up bills like crazy and going broke and losing their business like we did, having to sell everything. We had an auction that took 12 hours Ugh. to sell our farm, our horses, our equipment, everything. Stab me um, in the heart. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. We lost everything. It's one of the reasons I ended up starting the Horse Radio Network eventually. Uh, and it's the reason that we'll never own a property again because we don't want to go through that again. Mm. And, you know, it, but those are the stories they want. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's, that sucks too. <laughs> it, it's painful, right? Who yeah, wants, exactly. Who wants but, to relive it, that, right? Exactly. But that's what they want. And that's the only thing that's going to get us out there. And, but and you know why they want that? Because that's what people want to read. Right. Sadly. Well, it's, it's stories, right? We don't, we don't want to hear about the hero who had life easy. We want to hear about the hero who had to really slog his way through. Exactly. Yep. Brilliant. So tell me a little bit more about the Horse Network and the website and what it's shows you radio, have. com. if you're interested in horses or if you're not. We, we estimate about 20% of our listeners don't even have a horse. Uh, one of the fu- most fun shows we do is Horses in the Morning. It's very light and lively. I have a co-host that is the best storyteller in the world. <laughs> and she, she, she is kind of what we call that girl. Everything that could possibly happen to a horse person happens to her. Uh, and she goes to horse shows and she's that girl. Her horse is jumping out of the ring, gets loose. You know, she's just that girl. But everybody relates to her because she is that girl. And she was actually in mainstream radio in Atlanta for 10 years. Uh, did top 40 radio in Atlanta as that girl in the hor- on the morning show. <laughs> and she's now that girl on our show, except we, we talk about horses, but it's very morning drive radio. It's, it, it's meant to be morning drive radio. Funny, and, but yet, you know, our bent is horses. We, our slant is horses. So it, it, because it's comedy and it's fun, people listen to it even if they don't have horses because they just like us. Uh, and then we have many show, other shows. We have nine other shows that deal on horse health and the different disciplines. So we have a carriage driving show. We have a show about eventing and dressage and all the different disciplines. And then a couple of general shows, too. So it's uh, a little bit of everything. Horseradionetwork.com. Brilliant. And it all came out of Lyme disease. Pretty much. That was the only re- I needed something I could work at home. 
So you didn't answer one of those ads. I could, uh, I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Even, you know, here I am, I'm 52. I'm an acupuncturist. And every once in a while, I'm just tempted. It's like, I wonder what the hell those things really are. I know, me too. I still, <laughs> I, I still, yeah, I have a successful business, and I still want to answer the stupid ad. Yes, yeah, <laughs> we're good. always looking for something easier, that, right? That's right. Good, <laughs> good copywriting, right? Selling the dream. That's right. Exactly. Four-hour work week. <laughs> I've owned many businesses through the years, and by the way, that four-hour work week thing—that's crap. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> I've never gotten to that point. I forget. Well, so so I, I have on and off. I listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast. Yeah. And he tells a story about the the title of that book. And I think it just tested well. You know, he he just put it there because it tested well. It had nothing to, he didn't think it had anything to do with the book. But, well, my four hour work week has always been 100. So yeah, four, <laughs> I don't know about anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'm just doing it wrong. I, I'll take that if I am. Well, thank you. I appreciate being on the show because I'm so passionate about Lyme, and we're going to reciprocate and have you on one of our shows to uh, to talk a little more about it because it is a concern in the horse world. I look forward to it. So I loved how he was able to speak to not only human Lyme disease, but horse Lyme disease as well. And something that he said stuck in my mind. He said that cutting out sugar for the horse diet was is as helpful in treating hort in treating Lyme disease and symptoms. Uh, sorry, can I start again? Sorry. Sure. Blah 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 blah. Helpful in managing symptoms in horses, as it seemed as it seems to be for him. Okay. So I really liked being able to hear kind of a more veterinary side of things with with his um, experience in the horse world. And what really struck me is managing sugar intake for horses with Lyme disease seems to be as important in animals to manage uh, Lyme disease symptoms as it is for humans. Like he said that he needed to cut out sugar completely in order to manage his his symptoms. Right. Well, it has to do with how well we digest, break down, and then absorb the sugar before it gets into our colons. If too much sugar gets down there, then it starts feeding the yeasts and some of the other not-so-friendly bacteria, and they get they get a foothold, and they can work their way up the small intestine where they're not so be not supposed to be and uh, left alone over time that can really exacerbate gut permeability and, or cause gut permeabilities. So that means the uh, proteins and some of the yeast and maybe some other bacteria are getting through your intestine that shouldn't be. And that's wow. just a really nasty situation to deal with on top of being infected with Lyme disease. And it seems to be that the Lyme also, uh, the toxins seem to weaken the, the linings of the intestine. So some people really have a kind of intestinal based Lyme disease and, you know, you just have to you just have to starve these critters. You can't just eat what you want to eat. It's not Twinkies every night anymore. No. 
And that, you know, I'm kind of half joking saying Twinkies, but sometimes it's not even Twinkies. Sometimes it can be good food, like fruit. You know, fruit seems so innocuous, uh, innocuous and healthy and all these pretty pictures and pretty people eating fruits and having smoothies and stuff like that. And it can be absolutely awful. It's like too many bananas is just too much sugar for many, many people. So something innocent like a banana can make an absolute huge difference. So again, the, the take home message for today is you need to get hold of your healthcare practitioner and work on your diet as part of your healing plan. And if you don't have an alternative healthcare pr- practitioner, that's you need to find a functional med doc. Even a Lyme literate doctor may not really get into diet too much. So you'll, you want to find somebody who really understands the different types of diets out there and can guide you on the path of what's right for you. Yeah. And what's right for you specifically and not just a, a like a general protocol, right? Yeah, I think so. I think some diets work for just like Lyme treatments. Some treatments work for some people, some don't. Some diets work wonderfully for people and some don't. Uh, so you really need somebody who's not just going to put you in a cookie cutter. This is what's right for everybody, but is willing to experiment with you and find out the right thing. So if you like Lime Ninja Radio, what Aurora and I are doing here, go ahead and click on over to iTunes and leave us a review. This is what one of our ninjas recently said when she left a review. I just binge listened to just about all the Lime Ninja podcasts and I had to take a moment to tell you how much I love it. Seriously, you and Aurora are amazing at what you do. It's captivating and informative. Thank you both for putting your heart into this and creating such a wonderful podcast. All right. It's so great to hear from all of you. Thank you, ninjas. And lastly, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know ninjas are the reason why Waldo is hiding? Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment. 